Welcome to the Path 11 podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. I am also the co-founder of Path 11 Productions. And aside from podcasting, we also make great films and documentaries, which can be found at path11productions.com. We have a special promo code just for our podcast listeners. The promo code is PATH11PODCAST, and if you go to our website, PATH11PRODUCTIONS.COM, and visit our shop page, put that promo code in, and you will receive 50% off of our Evolution DVD, which is the third film in our PATH Trilogy series. If you would like to become a sponsor of the PATH11 Podcast, please email me at info at PATH11PRODUCTIONS.COM. And now for this week's show. So today I am joined with Joe Mancini, and I would really recommend that you guys check out the show notes of his full bio. Um, This man has done incredible work, has studied um, some amazing things, and it would probably take us about maybe 10 minutes to read the whole thing. So I'm going to give you the shortened version. But um, So Joe received a PhD in English and American Literature from Harvard, an MSW from the University of Maryland, and a BA in English from Providence College. He is a practitioner of neurolinguistic programming and a certified clinical hypnotherapist. He has his own practice in transpersonal and spiritual counseling in Maryland and has also published the book, The Present Power of Past Lives, The Experts Speak. Now, on today's show, we are going to be uh, talking to Joe about his newest book called Ending the Endless Conflict, Healing Narratives from Past Life Regressions to the Civil War. And it was... um, it was one of Joe's friends that actually recommended that we interview him, and that was Linda Baker, and we had interviewed her on the show called Soul Contracts. So welcome, Joe. Well, thank you very much for having me. Yeah. So this is uh, when we were talking to Linda. She said, hey, are you taking show suggestions? You know, are you still looking for people? And we're like, we're always looking for people. And she said, well, I have a really interesting friend who is doing some work with past life regression in the Civil War. And I said, wow, that sounds fascinating. So that's a little bit how we found you. Yes. And Linda's just a sweetheart. Yeah, she she provided just such great knowledge. We had a great show with her as well. And um, yeah, so gosh, where do we even begin? I, I guess I'd like to talk a little bit and have you introduce our listeners to your background and your story and how you came to this point where you are right now and doing the work that you're doing with people. Uh, well, um in a, in a way, all the things that you mentioned that um, I've done actually all come together to get me where I am today because um, the analysis of the analytical uh, skills that I've learned as uh, a reader of literature um, became very, very helpful when I became um, a traditional therapist and then later a hypnotherapist. So. Um, in terms of becoming hypnotherapist, that's how I got here. Uh, as far as the book is concerned, um, the regressions to the Civil War. Um, in my preface, I talk about my own experience during the Vietnam War, and uh, basically um, some miracles that I believe saved my life. And 
when I left, I wondered why my life had been saved. And um, I decided to dedicate my life to helping other people. Um, And even though I did a lot of that, something was still missing. And it wasn't until about uh, two and a half years ago that I went up to Gettysburg uh, with a friend and actually visited the battlefields for the first time and was um, stricken with horror uh, to see all of the, what looked like tombstones. They're actually regimental markers. And and I started reading a little, read a bit about the Civil War and the slaughter. Um, the estimates are between 620 and 720,000 deaths, which would be the equivalent of about two and a half million people today uh, in terms of the percentage of population. And I just realized that I'm a hypnotherapist, I can do past life regressions, and perhaps I can um, do some healing work, not only for the people here and now, but for their past life uh, selves. So that's basically, and I mean, there's a lot more to it than that, but that's basically how we got here. Right. And um, and you kind of also open up your book with a really fascinating story with a woman that you had dated yes. that, on, you know, the outside, you know, looking in and reading, you could think, oh, my God, this was wild and crazy. And was she experiencing delusions and psychosis and exactly. what's going on? So you have to tell that story because, um, you know, it really is kind of a good introduction into the whole book. And, you know, part of one of the reasons, too, why you began exploring this as well. Right. Well, I met this woman um, about, I can't remember exactly, about 35 years ago. And I was um, a literature professor at the University of Maryland. And I, I was just beginning my spiritual exploration. And I had kind of heard of past lives, but didn't know really much about it. And so I, uh, uh, I smile every time I think about this. So when we met, I, I was not sure that she was the right fit for me for a lot of reasons, um, but she was fascinating because she seemed to be um, psychic. So one morning uh, at 2 a.m., I get this call, and the voice is a woman's voice with a southern accent. And I'm puzzled, and she says, uh, Jason, um, I need you to, to ride down here. Come see me right away. So um, I suddenly realized it was this woman. And uh, I got in my car, not my horse, and got down there in a half an hour. And when I got there, she opened the door. She was in this kind of filmy uh, negligee. And, and it could have been something from a long time ago. And uh, we... I knew something was off, and today I would I would say she was in a trance, and uh, we went to um, the bedroom, yeah, made love, and then she start, she was talking to me, calling me Jason, and I I was trying to figure out what this was about, and finally I figured out that um, this was Civil War talk talk. And that suddenly we were in two worlds at once. Uh, the next morning, she acted as though nothing had happened. 
And I, strangely enough, because I'm a very curious person, just let it go. Well, a short time later, we went to Cape May, and uh, it was evening, dark, and we were walking along the street that have those Victorian mansions. And um, she suddenly stopped and put her ear against one of the wooden pillars at the beginning of the circular, the semicircular driveway. And I asked her what she was doing, and she said, um, she shushed me, said, be quiet, I'm hearing horses snorting, I'm hearing wagons creaking, I'm hearing people. And suddenly I realized we're back in the Civil War. And again, I'm not sure, if you, you uh, suggested earlier, whether she was having delusions or, wh or whatever, but she wanted to go on the grounds, and I pulled her away, um, and we went um, back to the hotel, where, again, um, she was calling me Jason, and I realized that she liked Jason more than she liked me, so I ended that relationship. But um, a year ago, year and a half ago, uh, and I lost all contact with her, about a year ago, uh, a psychic that I uh, talk to fairly regularly, to make a long story short, she told me that this woman uh, was my paramour during the Civil War, and that I was um, a quartermaster in the Confederate Army. I lived in Maryland, and she lived in New Jersey. And we had a very kind of fractious relationship, um, made worse by the war. I did survive the war. I came back. Um, we got married, and you know, uh, it, again, it was very tumultuous. Um, so that was that was very striking that I found out about a civil war connection long, long before I became a therapist or even a hypnotherapist, and before I really knew much about past lives. Right. So I'm sure you were, you know, throughout the years, you've probably been piecing parts of that experience together. And <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. More um, clarity. Yeah. Right. And she wasn't crazy. I mean, in retrospect, I know she wasn't crazy. She just uh, was kind of undisciplined in the way she could access um, uh, alternate reality. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. Um, and, you know, with you saying the uh, number that you had mentioned earlier about how many people had perished and died in the Civil War, I'm sure that you find that there are many people that have in this lifetime or feel very much of a connection to this period in time. Yes, especially where I'm living now. Um, I'm in Frederick, Maryland. Uh, Gettysburg is about 32 miles away in Tetum. Um, where the bloodiest one-day battle ever uh, in American history occurred. Um, that's only about 30 miles away. And there's also, there was a battle um, about five miles from my house in Frederick. Um, and so it, this is a pretty, it, there's a lot of ghosts here. Yeah. Literally. Well, and I'd like to take our listeners on a little bit more of a crazy journey with this conversation and to talk a little bit about how, you know, there is that possibility that the past and parallel lives and future lives are all happening at the same time and wrapping our minds around that. Around that. And um, you also referenced to Jane Roberts in yes. the book Seth Speaks. Yes. And many people 
um, you know, I know are familiar with that, but I'd like to kind of start there and, and talk a little bit about um, the multi multi-dimensional nature of the psyche, according to Seth. And then you broke it down so well in your book about describing the different ways in which the soul is existing. Yes. Uh, well, let me address first uh, what you mentioned about all of these, what I call alternate selves uh, of the soul, uh, all exist at once. Um, in, beyond this time-space reality, uh, and even modern physics uh, agrees with this, um, there is what is called the spacious present. There's no time. So everything and everyone who has ever existed or all existing now in that spacious present. And only when we start thinking about those cells in the time-space continuum, do we put some in the present, some in the future, and some in the past? And what's important about this notion that these are all simultaneously living uh, cells is that despite our, well, let me put it a different way, when, when we do a past life regression, um, it always ends with the death of the past life self. And so it would seem that that uh, life has ended. It's set in stone. But in reality, um, that life only seems set in stone because we're thinking about it in terms of the time-space continuum. In effect, none of these lives are finished. Um, a certain ending to a particular past life helps us understand some relevance between that past life and the present lifetime. But we can change these past lives. We can change the endings of them um, because they're not finished. And in my book, um, in one of the stories, um, uh, the one with Jude, who's a present-day self, and James Matthews, who's the past-life self. Um, I have Jude come back after the past-life regression and go back into that life and offer James Matthews a different way to end his life, um, which had been quite tragic. And I deliberately did that so that my readers could see how even a past life could change. Uh, uh, depending on the choice of the past life self. Nobody can force anybody to do anything. Um, it's all based on choice. Um, so um, I could go anywhere from this point on. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other thing that I, that I really found fascinating too, when you're talking about going back and, you know, either changing the, how you died in a past life is that when a new past is chosen, all the people involved with that yeah. individual um, are also telepathically informed and have the choice to be or not be in the individual's new past. That's right. Um, and the thing that we don't understand, I'm talking here about conscious choice, but we're making these changes all the time on the subconscious level, but we don't know that we're doing that, okay? Um, so uh, we're changing our own past um, probably quite often, 
and the people who are with us are changing those paths. And if someone isn't with us in the parallel reality that we then create, um, we wouldn't even know it. We wouldn't have a memory of that person. And yet, again, nothing is ever lost. No one is ever lost. We have access through trance, through the, the dream state. We have access to all of our parallel lives, um, all of our alternate selves. Nothing is ever lost. We confuse something being lost with not being in consciousness, okay? Just because we're not conscious of something doesn't mean that that something is gone and lost. And I, I wanna say that to reassure people that we've not lost anything. And we can reconnect and I think merge again with a parallel life that we left. The uh, multidimensionality of the soul is, is beyond comprehension. And we really can't wrap our minds around how multiple we are. And let me just say, um, one of the reasons why this is very important to know, one of the problems, one of the main problems I talk about in the book that is the root of conflict in war is our stereotyping of ourselves and others. And one of the ways we stereotype ourselves and others is to reduce our sense of our own complexity and the complexity of others. We see ourselves as sort of like having one voice. And the truth of the matter is we have many, many, many voices, not only uh, from parts of ourselves, uh, sub, sub what we call subpersonalities, which most psychologies are familiar with, but also the voices of our alternate selves, our past life selves, our counterpart selves, our future selves, and all of that. And if we have access and, and choose to have access to those alternate selves, then we have many more perspectives and we see how much more complex a response we can give to the, the world. And so to me, that's the main reason why it's really important to know how multidimensional we are. We have many resources within us, not just one or two. I hope that yeah. makes sense. It it does. It's so much to digest, though. You know, when I was uh, when I was reading all of this, of course, you know, I was like, okay, let me go into my parallel self. You know, when you talk about the parallel or the probable selves, that those are usually they're very much like our present selves, but it's all the different paths that we didn't take yes. in this lifetime yes. that are still playing out. And then I was thinking about, oh, so I wonder if I did take that path, what would that look like? And then I started right. to go into the energy of that. I was like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. And then if you saw my notes, when I got to counterpart selves in big letters, I have say what? Yeah. <laughs> this blew yeah. me away. So I'd like to talk a little bit about that as well. Cause sure. it reminded me when people say, oh, I've seen your doppelganger or, um, you know, maybe that there's somebody that seems a lot like you, but you also talked about how we can kind of be different ages in different places of the world. Okay. And whoa, mind blowing. Okay. I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned this because I also have a couple of, you know, a couple of examples I can give you with this. This is a notion that was promulgated by uh, Jane Roberts Sepp. And the idea is that the soul when it wants to know something from many points of view all at once, it incarnates four to five personalities 
around the same time period. They may be of different ages, but their lives in terms of time overlap. Okay, so you may have a uh, a 10 year old in one country is obese and let's say it's a male and there may be a female um, in China who is uh, almost anorexic and she's uh, um, let's say she's 15 or something like that and then there may be a researcher a female in England who's trying to come up with a weight reduction uh, pill, and she's in her 50s. So you can see what I'm saying. All of these personalities are basically working on the same issue, but from different points of view. And each one of these personalities has access to all the other uh, counterpart cells during the dream state and also in trance. I, I developed a protocol to be able to access them. And they can get information from each other. They share information. Again, a lot of this is done on the subconscious level. You may never meet your counterpart cells. On the other hand, you may be married to one of your counterpart cells. Um, and I think that wartime is an especially important time for many souls because of the, the stresses and strains um, and the challenges are mu very multiple during a wartime. So I think the, the counterpart self phenomenon would be um, uh, really prevalent during war. Now, this also accounts for another phenomenon that I think is very important. A number of people uh, who came to me for the past life regressions, for the Civil War ones, told me that, for instance, they were very interested in the domestic uh, details of that time. So the idea they had in their minds was, oh, well, I'll be uh, almost surely my past life self will be that of a, a woman who takes care of the home front. Well, in almost every case, that didn't happen. In fact, what the person um, was often was a combat soldier, to, much to the to the horror of the present day individual. And um, so, how do we account for the present day individual's thought? Oh, I probably was a domestic, but I turned out to be uh, a combat soldier. The counterpart self phenomenon makes sense of that. Indeed the person probably was a domestic as well as a combat soldier. They were counterpart selves during that time. And in fact, in, in one of the stories, the woman uh, who's living now came to see me for a, a different past life regression. And um, when she went to another scene in that particular a past life. She she didn't stay in that past life. She went to another past life, and it happened to be during the Civil War. And she was a scout in a surveillance balloon, which I didn't know existed at the time, but the North and the South each had a core of balloons. They used them for surveillance. They could see the battlefield better from up high. And so when she came to do the, the past life regression to the Civil War, we expected her to go back to that uh, past life self who was in the balloon. Well, she didn't do that. 
what happened was she became, she was a scout on the ground. And so we explained that again, in terms of counterpart cells, the soul wanted to learn about observation from different points of view, from up close and from far away, far away being the balloon and up close being on the ground. So that makes sense of, of people thinking they were certain kinds of people and finding out, oh, well, we don't seem to be that. Well, in fact, you were both. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that's also a great example to show how when you're doing regression work, the conscious mind is not in charge oh, because, no. you know, here you guys are thinking, oh, maybe we'll go back to this part. And then it takes a totally different turn. And, you know, the, the unconscious mind soul goes where it needs to go. Right. I, I, in the induction, I honor the conscious mind, but ask it to, to simply observe. Because without the conscious mind being with us when we do the regression, you won't remember anything. So it's simply an observer and a recorder of the experience. So we don't want to get rid of the conscious mind. We just want to put it in the place it needs to be while we're doing the regression. Great. So now let's kind of move a little bit more towards the book. So you, you know, were going through this investigation of the Civil War and you collected a total of 17 individuals to participate in this in this book that you wrote and you did regression work. So can you explain how you found the people um, to do the regression work with and why you chose the 17 individuals that you did? Okay. Um I would actually say that spirit chose them. And, and the reason I say that is that I wasn't sure how to gather people. As I said earlier, I uh, live in an area where there was a tremendous civil war activity. And um, oftentimes people from past lives come back to, to the places they uh, lived in during the past life. So what I, I, I thought to myself, how am I gonna find these people? I had two criteria. One was that anyone who would come for a regression had to have an interest in the Civil War, uh, possibly a, a positive interest. And this other criteria was just the opposite, that if you, if you actively you know, was distressed by or hated the war, you were also a candidate um, for it. So. Um, that was the quote-unquote test that the prospective client um, had to pass in order for me to even consider uh, doing the regression, because we couldn't know otherwise. It was a good guess if they were really interested, deeply interested, or deeply repulsed. And many of the stories in the book, you, you know, these people don't know each other. When I tell a story of their present-day selves, you'll see there are a lot of similarities um, in the way they were often repulsed by even walking on the battlefields. So I, first of all, uh, queried my contact list of former clients. I uh, sent out flyers uh, to um, my other list with, with people, people who had come and been on the email list uh, and wanted to be on the email list. Uh, I asked word of mouth to be, you know, people uh, tell their friends, etc. And surely, but you know, surely, as I didn't imagine was going to happen, they came. 
And they didn't all come at once, which was a good thing because it takes uh, one of these sessions would take four to five hours. Wow. Uh, that doesn't mean uh, the, the longest anyone was in trance was two and a half hours. But I spent a good deal of time doing um, an intake interview because I need to know in terms of healing, I need to know what's going on in the, in the present day self in order to bring the fruits of the, of the past life regression to bear on uh, the present day. And what was interesting was of the 17 people, um, 14 of them were women and um, only three were men. There was one African-American man. I wished that I had even more variety, but there was more variety in the past life selves. There were, there were women, but uh, a lot of the present day women were combat soldiers, sometimes willing, sometimes not. And the section uh, that I call on the home front, women on the home front, contains five stories of the horrors that women went through, both uh, in the North and especially in the South, uh, being on the home front. And that's especially true because uh, later in the war, the Northern General Sherman and, and another uh, Northern General Sheridan practiced what's called hard war, which uh, is devastating war. They, they go after the civilian lands and they decimate them to deny the soldier, the Southern soldiers uh, of sustenance. And it, it wreaked havoc for about 100 years in the South. So this hard war doctrine was very, very hard on the women who were there. So again, I need your guidance to go, because I could yeah. go where I could talk forever about this. Sure. Yeah. So one of the things that I'd like you to, obviously, we're not going to be able to talk about all 17 oh, you know, regressions, because we want everybody to go out there and read this book and <laughs> learn about these, um, you know, regressions. But... Uh, you know, one question, one of the questions that I have is what did you notice in all the individuals after they went through the regression, how they were able to take that information and heal a part of themselves today? All right. Well, this is, this is a very, very good question because the way I organized each chapter or each case study was there was an account of the history of the present day individual. Then, um, the account of the past life self. And then the third, third section, I label the potential for healing. And I was very careful in that wording because as I say in the book, I can, with this work, I can show people very clearly where uh, healing might occur if they do certain things, if they look at certain things. But the old adage, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Um, it's always about choice. You can go through an experience like this and choose, for whatever reasons, uh, not to take the fruit of it and use it. I will say this, that every uh, participant was blown away by the experience and was very thankful at the end. And some, pe some of these people really took uh, what they learned and started to incorporate uh, these learnings into their lives. 
And the learnings basically were the past life self either showed the present day self what not to do or what to do or some combination of, of both of them. And I also say sometimes additional work is done. Um, the person I mentioned earlier who went back to his past life self and offered that self a different way to die. Well, that present day self, we called him Jude, felt like a slave in this life, and he was a slave back in that life, and was, off, was often uh, beset by depression and w would go and lay down and uh, on his bed and would just be in a funk for a long time. He was also very pressured by his father to meet his father's expectations of what he ought to do. And Jude really wanted to do spiritual work, but he was very depressed. And he found that his past life self was, was in a similar situation. And when he, after he came out of the regression, and it's, it's quite beautiful, uh, the account of that, he he resolved that he was not going to lie down, uh, that he was not going to listen uh, to other people's expectations of him. And he has really flourished with his Reiki practice. He's really done a great job. And I, I, the, so the whole experience impacted him uh, quite a, a great deal. Another person and I believe this is the next to the last case study. I call it a dying soldier. And it's a, an incredible accounting of a soldier who is slowly dying of a wound, a major wound to the chest. And the, the present-day self had, I think I called her Lydia, the present-day self had suffered the the suicide death of a, of a close friend of hers. And this had deeply demoralized her. And it, during the regression, and there was more to it just than that she was dying, but in the process of experiencing the soldier's dying moments, she realized that the death of this soldier who had been, as I said, brutally killed uh, or wounded, rather, that death was not that horrible an experience and because the, the soldier felt a peace come over him before he actually died. And so when, she, when the present-day self came out of the regression, she felt w much, much better about the death, the suicide death of her friend. It had relieved her of that sense of horror, because she actually, in a sense, went through a death where she was wounded in the same way, uh, not the same way, but in the same area um, where her uh, friend had, uh, had killed himself. So sometimes there are immediate effects. Sometimes there's long-term effects if the person in the present day heeds what he or she learned from the past life. 
Right. Great. Thank you for sharing those stories. You actually, I, I was going to ask you, can you share a couple? <laughs> and yeah. you already did. So wonderful. Um, another question too is, um, you know, I always find it fascinating how there are present day war reenactors yes. and, you know, people who get together and reenact yes. this stuff and, you know, they're like long weekend things. So, um, you know, can you talk a little bit more about sure. that? Sure. Um, I actually have um, a short chapter. <laughs> I say short because the others are a lot longer. A short chapter at the end of the book. Uh, I think I call it the mutual mirroring of yesterday and today. And it's about reenacting. And one of the things uh, I didn't inter I didn't interact a lot with reenactors. There is one person in the book who a woman who is um, a present day reenactor. And I tried to engage some others that I met. I went to a couple of reenactments, uh, tried to engage them. And of course, my sample was very, very small. But I kind of generalized that a lot of, uh, of reenactors are not all that interested in something like past life regression, though you would think they would be. And especially since when they're on, then when they're reenacting a battle, a couple of them told me, and, and I also read about this, they would have a what was termed a, a wargasm, meaning they would have uh, an experience where they didn't know what century they were in. In, in, offense, in, in effect, they, they were having a regression. Mm. Um, and I make the point in the book that past life regression is a very intense reenactment experience, much more personal, uh, and I think ultimately much more powerful. And I, I, I think a lot of the reenactors are people who lived during the Civil War and are repeating, almost like with a repetition compulsion, what they went through. But they never come to resolution. Now, I want to be careful especially if any reenactors happen to hear this, I have great admiration for the living history that they present. Um, we need that living history. We don't want to forget what happened. We need to see people reenacting. And yet, I think there's a dimension of this that is like what Freud called a repetition compulsion, where you keep repeating and repeating, but you get no resolution. And that's not what happens in past life regression. So I didn't get very in involved at all with reenacting, but it, because it didn't go where I want, I would, I was wanting to go with this. And and again, uh, I want to repeat, I find the pre the uh, presence of reenacting a very very vital thing for our sense of history, and you know for our, ourselves as um, adults, but also for our children. So I, I don't want to cast aspersions on it. I'm just saying in terms of the contrast between that kind of reenacting and the reenacting that happens in past life regression, you, there's a significant difference. I even proposed in the book uh, a kind of mega healing experience through some group past life regressions to the Civil War. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to um, do that, um, but I presented it as a possibility. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that comes to mind for me with the reenactment 
and, you know, the repetition of it, even from an energetic sense is, is, does it keep that energy stuck? Yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly what I was saying. In a yeah. Different, uh, yes, that, that concerns me. Um, I think you could do, you could do a past life regression and get unstuck and still do reenacting, but with a different mindset. It, so the past life regression is not an attempt to get rid of reenacting in the conventional sense. It's to get rid of, the, as we say, the stuckness. You know, in a way, I think some of these reenactors are like living ghosts because um, there are a lot of go people have seen bands of soldiers on the battlefield who are ghosts. And, you know, these are flesh and blood ghosts in some instances, I would say all. And I, I have been to Gettysburg countless times and I, I've always hoped that I would see one, but I don't. Wouldn't it be an interesting proposal if you could get some of the reenactments all over the world to choose a different outcome like you do yes. in past yes. life regression yes. and monitor that over time and see yes. if in fact there is a change in war throughout our history because they say I, history repeats itself, right? Absolutely. And I think, you know, I can't imagine the logistics of that, but <laughs> boy, I would be, I would want to be a part of that. Absolutely. And I, I think that would be fascinating. However, it would really challenge people to say, you know, because I could see where people would get very stuck on. We can't change the history of this. And that's, this is this is what we're, you know, created. And why would we reenact something right. different? But if you could get enough people to buy into the fact right. of energy and shifting that and shifting the outcome and bringing about more peace, less slaughter, less deaths, um, you know, what what that would do. It's uh, it would be a form of prayer, mm. uh, very potent prayer. And, um, you know, that sort of thing just um, stokes me. Um, I feel passion coming out, but I haven't any idea how that would happen because there's so many obstacles, not not even so much logistical obstacles in terms of, um, you know, physical problems, but in terms of changing people's minds and. I wrote this book. The way it turned out is not the way I expected it to turn out. Uh, I was just going to do some past life regressions of the Civil War and see I could, you know, do that, you know, provide some healing. But it took on a life of its own, and um, that's why, you know, in the introduction and in the postscript, um, I talk about how how the polarizations. Uh, and the stereotyping that began even before the Civil War are still with us uh, today. And so it's a very timely book in that regard, but it's also, I think, timeless. And, um, you know, maybe you know, I, I've had this fantasy. I, I don't know how I could do it, but I would love to get this book to Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg and see if they could do um, a movie with this that, that has to do with the present day selves and the past lives. And, um, you know, something like that um, uh, could spark something like what you said. But right. I, you know, I'm, I'm just putting that, that out 
um, in case it sparks something somewhere and someone contacts me and all of that. Because I, I'm not, sh I, I, I don't think, I believe that the work that this book started is over. I think it's just beginning, or at least I hope so. Yeah, and that was going to be my my last question as we wrap up. You know, do you feel like your work with the Civil War and past life regression is over, or is this just the catalyst to, you know, bring you into something new? I don't. I you know the the honest answer to that is I don't know. I but I can tell I tell you that uh, as I kind of mentioned a moment ago, as we're talking about this, I can feel the juices starting to run again. Mm -hmm. um, I just don't know where, I don't know what the next step is. Um, but the first step is for people, you know, like you to read the book because uh, my heart and soul is in it. And I think that um, if other people, you know, their hearts and souls are, are uh, touched by the book, then slowly but surely something more will happen. And I'm, again, would love to be a part of it. Absolutely. It happens. Well, thank you so much, Joe. This was a really great uh, interview. And you also have two websites if people are interested in contacting you. You have lifetransforminghypnotherapy.com and also explorationsinspirit.com. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about uh, each website and what's the best way to get in touch with you? Okay. The best way to get in touch with me is through email. And should I just give that? Sure, yes. All right. It's S-O-U-L-S-R-V, as in Victor, R, at E-R-O-L-S dot com. I'll say it again. S-O-U-L-S-R-V-R at E-R-O-L-S dot com. The Life Transforming Hypnotherapy is my website. There's a lot on there. Um, a lot of the modalities are, uh, that are possible through hypnotherapy are listed. It's a very, it's a large website. The other one, Explorations in Spirit, is a blog. I don't write much on it now, partly because I've been writing these books. Uh, but there's some really... Um, I think uh, interesting essays that I write that they're not short that are uh, based on the Seth material, Jane Roberts Seth material. So um, yeah, I'd be happy to hear from anybody who's interested uh, in you know exploring uh, who they are, which is again, as I said, you're a multi-dimensional being beyond your imagining. Absolutely. And I would like our listeners to just take maybe a small little moment of silence and send those energy waves and thoughts out there to Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks <laughs> to make your request happen. And, uh, you know, just to move that momentum forward. So I, I do hope that that happens for you. I do hope that, you know, maybe we're planting a little bit of a seed for new reenactments to happen. Who knows what, you know, what it will turn out to be. But um, thanks so much, Joe. I really enjoyed you bringing this topic onto our podcast. And April, I can't thank you enough. It's such a delight to have someone interested in the book and what, you know, what's in it. And thank you so much. 
If you want more information about our films, visit our website, path11productions.com, to purchase DVDs or to rent and stream each film. You can also find our trilogy of films on iTunes, Amazon Prime, and Gaia.com. You can still use our smartphone app for both Android and iPhones. Just search for Path 11 in the Google Play App Store, or if on an iPhone, look for Path 11 in the iOS App Store. Catch you next time.